I'm Miyuki Okiranta, and this is Earshot. Now, what do you think of Aboriginal art? My own tastes are the dot paintings like this. They're going to email me the story about it, but it's to do with waterholes and travelling. I just love the colours and thought the red and orange and the blue worked really well together. People are in love with Indigenous art. <laughs> I think it's fabulous. People might be in love with it, but it's not making money for most of the artists. Only a few of the 100 or so art centres in remote Australia are making a decent profit. One of them is the Wailukulangu Art Centre, nearly 300 kilometres northwest of Alice Springs, in the tiny desert community of Uendamu. Part of their success comes down to two remarkable women from Chile. For me, I have you know presidents and conquistadores, so I come more from a conquistador background. <laughs> That's Cecilia Alfonso, who manages the art centre. Probably we work with more than 200 colours at the moment. I don't think we have enough variety, but, you know, we'll get there one day. And that's her offsider, Gloria Morales. But before we head out to the desert, a warning. This program contains the voices of Aboriginal people who have passed away. Margot Neal is going to tell us this story. She's the Senior Indigenous Curator at the National Museum of Australia, and she's put together the stunning Songlines exhibition there. Settle in for the Conquistador, the Walpri and the Dog Whisperer. We're in Walpri country in central Australia at the Wailukulangu Art Centre. A bunch of women artists are sitting on the ground laughing and gossiping as they paint. Their dogs sprawled alongside them. And backpacker volunteers are handing out cheese toasties for lunch. Striding through the throng comes a striking woman in knee-high boots. How many does she paint? I come from a long line of unsuccessful artists. <laughs> and I don't have any artistic angst. I've known Cecilia Alfonso for over a decade. You can always find her by following her raucous laugh. <laughs> She's come a long way from her aristocratic origins in Chile. Cecilia learned the art trade early on. Her family migrated to Australia when she was six and her lawyer father reinvented himself as an artist. And so even when I was about nine or ten, I would go door to door with my dad selling paintings. You know, he'd take me around so people would feel comfortable and let him in the house. After uni, Cecilia headed overseas with an art dealer boyfriend. While she was visiting the world's great art galleries, Gloria Morales was still in Chile. She'd only arrived in Australia at the age of 28. I was a trained conservator and I wanted to continue improving in conservation. And Chile was very difficult when you don't come from the right social background to get jobs. And Australia was the easiest place at that time to migrate. Chile the world's only freely elected Marxist president, is overthrown by military... There are also political forces behind why both women ended up in Australia. Without guns, the Chilean left had seized power... You've heard of the huge exodus from Chile in 1973 after the socialist president Salvador Allende died, right? It happened after a coup led by the infamous General Pinochet. Well, Cecilia's family left in 1971, when the left-wing Allende came to power. 
I mean, my family in Chile, there were Pinochet supporters, most of them, whereas her family were absolute Allende supporters. We would go to my parents' friends' farms and they would have, you know, peasants on their land. So they were the landowners. And Gloria comes from the other side where her parents were working the fields. Sometimes her parents wouldn't get paid. And so she remembers waking up in a house without food. Her parents were both were illiterate, and it's just a testament to her determination and intelligence, really, that she got a scholarship to go to university. So we often say, had we been in Chile, it's very unlikely that our paths would have crossed. But somehow, 16 years ago, they both washed up in Uindamu at the end of the Tanami Track. When I was driving down the Tanami to come here, I felt like I wasn't only travelling in space, it was sort of like I was travelling in time, you know? Down this dirt road and oh, I mean, And then I arrived here and everything was so different and so topsy-turvy, you know, so challenging, but I was almost ecstatic about having been given the job, you know? I was euphoric. I went for a walk around the community. Nobody met my eye, and I felt invisible, actually. It was a really strange feeling. People would have known that I was the new person at the art centre, but, yeah, no one looked at you. By the time Cecilia got here in 2001, Aboriginal art had hit the big time. I was personally blown away to see Earth's creation, a painting by Emily Kame Nware, sell for a million bucks in 1997, a record at the time. Not only for Emily, but for any Australian woman artist. But Cecilia was not impressed by the art being produced in Uendamu. And as you'll hear, she's not afraid to speak her mind. <laughs> well, the art was pretty bad when I got here. Hmm. It looked pretty dreary. So I just jumped in and started saying, now I'm telling you, there's a lot more competition out there and we need to improve the art. Now some people did take offence and, you know, were screaming at me. I think last year we produced close to 8,000 paintings and when I arrived, the art centre only had ever done maybe 400 in one year, sometimes 200 paintings a year. When I arrived, the little storage that we have was being eaten by termites. And a big part of that turnaround is Gloria. I haven't seen any live bodies. No, 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 this is termites. But it was chance that brought these two Chileans together. Cecilia advertised for an assistant and Gloria was a standout applicant. She'd done 10 years at the National Gallery of Australia and was looking for a change. She'd also done a stint in an Aboriginal community. And they repeat the songs. And so I rang her and I said, hey, listen, Gloria, you are by far the best applicant, and so I think it's going to come down to personalities. Because it turns out we're both the same age, we're both Chilean, you know, we're both women, and we'd either get on or we wouldn't, and that would determine whether we could work together. We have very different personalities, but it's sort of like the yin-yang. OK, well, go and ask Gloria. Sorry, do you want to give him $20? While Cecilia focused on the front of house stuff, 
Gloria organised the day-to-day workings of the centre, from ordering art supplies to rostering the small army of backpacker volunteers. She also developed a strong curatorial relationship with some artists, such as Elma Nungurai Granitz. We are going to concentrate in your painting and see where we can get it. It's like a, the first recorded painting that we, at the moment is um, around about 25th of July, so July 1986. Going through the Art Centre files, I discovered that Elma's work goes back over 30 years. My chukupa. My trimmings are pushed tomorrow, which did crop, but now I paint uh, Seven Sisters. And we're still doing star dreaming. In Walbridge, star dreaming. The painting represents the stars. We do the women's ceremony, and we dance that ceremony, sing that ceremony. That's Elma. Her parents were foundation artists at the Walukulango Art Centre. My parents were great artists. They travelled a lot to overseas. When her father, Paddy Sims, met Bessie, he'd only recently left his traditional desert community and was new to Whitefellow Ways. But by 1989, towards the end of his life, his work was exhibited at the Pompidou Centre in Paris in the groundbreaking exhibition Magicians of the Earth. Mm, he mentioned about the tall tower, that really big tower. I feel tower? Yeah, that one. Alma's <laughs> mm. a very successful artist in her own right. Over the years, she and Gloria have got very close. Alma says she's grateful to Gloria for her guidance in suggesting new approaches to painting and ways of getting around what she used to think of as mistakes. Just work with the mistake. That's how I learned. Nothing is a mistake in painting. It, it gives you an opportunity to explore a new idea. Because before we just do thought paintings only, but now I can use other techniques like splatting with the brushes. It's really important, the feedback, so that they are able to know, okay, if I paint that way, my painting is going to sell very quickly, then I'm going to get another painting to paint, which means money, you know. Seven Sisters. They're called Star Dream, but Seven Sisters. Was it hers that was sold the other day when we were here, the Seven Sisters, to the Telstra man? The guy from Telstra yesterday came to pick up the painting Mm -hmm. and he was looking at all the painting that you have done and he's like, please stop, because I want to have them all, Mm -hmm. but I can't. Mm -hmm. The collaboration between Alma and Gloria is paying off, literally. Her dreamy celestial skies and shades of blue are popular with corporate buyers and tourists. Alma's still painting her seven sisters Drukupa, or dreaming as it's sometimes called. But some visitors don't like hearing that Aboriginal artists are taking on board Western ideas to sell more of their art. Once I remember somebody saying, are they working for money? (laughs) And I went, I work for money. Don't you work for money? It's like a... It was like a shock that they were painting so that they could sell their stuff. There's no word for art in Aboriginal languages. It's a Western idea, and art centres are largely run as businesses. That's according to the community people I've spoken to. 
The centres are also the cultural hub of any community. They're potentially a big earner for remote Aboriginal communities. But a recent report found that of 87 art centres funded by the federal government, only a few were showing a steady profit. In fact, a dozen, including Walukulangu, accounted for three quarters of all sales. Of course, there are some big earning artists in our world, as there are amongst other Australian artists, but they're the exception. This makes Walukulangu's success all the more extraordinary. We sell still a lot in Australia, and we sell probably our next big market is France. But we have outlets in Switzerland, in Germany, in America, Singapore. We've done exhibitions in Hong Kong, in China. Last year it was like $1.7 million in painting sales and there were other incomes. So that's a lot of checks because they get 50% of the sale price. The report into failing art centres suggested part of the problem was too many paintings that don't appeal to the market. It's not something that happens at Walukulangu, where Cecilia constantly monitors market demand. If the Germans have gone off bush tomatoes, she'll feed this back to the artists. The centre is Aboriginal-owned and managed, so Cecilia can't interfere culturally. But for the artists in their commercial work, pragmatism invariably prevails. There's a lot of different factors that come into play. Them being precious about their culture, well, they can paint for themselves if that's what they want to do. But I am not there to pay them for their cultural practice. This is a meeting of the two worlds as an enterprise, and they come in for money. When you look at the bright purples and pinks and fluorescent greens of the art from Yuendamu, you might think it's less authentic than the red, yellow, black and whites that come from natural ochres. But the landscape that the artists are painting is alive with colour, as Paddy Stewart, one of the elders at Yuendamu, was fond of telling Gloria. Paddy Stewart, he clearly said there is colour everywhere. And he said, you see that orange? That is honey. He said, that is sweet as a lolly. And when it's summer here, when the rain comes and when the flowers come, it's a huge variety of colour. And that's what I wanted to start bringing into do a good combination of colours, colours that they could work well together, that they can, they have the same intensity, but they are a different part of the spectrum so that they play to each other when you put them together. So, And for Aboriginal people, colour was so important for the survival. If you're walking long distance to get to water. If you saw, for example, Bajeriga, that they are green and yellow, so like intense colour, many people paint the Bajeriga dreaming here. Or oh, she's also got Ngalu dreaming, which is what it means. It's about a Jungaraya man called... At the art centre, I read through folder after folder, documenting each painting and its complex story or jukupa, they were written by traditional owner Andrea Nungaraya Martin, who was the archivist for 25 years. I used to write them in Walbury and in English, which Chugurba they belong to. I know everyone's Chugurba because I learned through them, through all people. Lindy Pilinti fell in love with a Napungadi woman, a forbidden relationship under Walbury law. Andrew's related to Clifford Possum. 
One of his paintings sold for a record $2.4 million in 2007. Her own art is also popular. Tourists love to hear about her jukapa. First, I tell them story, story what jukapa is, I explain them what design means, and then after that, I print out the catalog stories and keep it to them. They love the story. Let's get back to that word jukapa. You might know it as the dreaming, but that's selling it short. It's often described as law that explains the creation of the land and the people and provides a template for living the right way. It's passed on through performance, ceremony and mark-making, and it binds us all to the land. The people call it dreaming, but it's not a dream. Dreaming, it's... Chukupa is... It's in a heart. Yeah. And I make them think about the story. I said, okay, you're working in a kangaroo dreaming. Why is it that you are doing a track that it goes straight from this corner to that corner and straight from that corner to that corner? If we go into the bush and we look at the tracks, the way that they are done, the way the kangaroo have been running from one place to another, it's not like that. So why do you do them in a square? So I am just trying to see the canvas not as the limit, but as an extension. Tourists love the printed stories that tell of the artist's connection to the land. But Aboriginal art doesn't only have to be about dreaming stories, as Cecilia fully appreciates. OK, so if a painting is secular, I don't mind. By running the art centre, you're filling in multiple roles. You're not there only to produce this spiritual artwork, but you're there to give people something to do as well. If somebody is painting in a modern, on a different way, not using the traditional iconography. They're modern people living in the world today and it changes and you can't put people in a time capsule. You have to paint what sells. People want to make money from it. It's all right if they want to do their chukurba, like dream painting or just a design or landscape or picture of birds. So it doesn't matter as long as it sells. Make Art is happy, as long as they get money back. Every day, every day, artists paint, young and old, and they get money each, every day. They come in the morning, sit down and paint. So Cecilia, with that another money, Cecilia can buy more paints and canvas, all the stuff. At the end of every day, Cecilia pays the 80 or so artists for the work they've done. They don't have to wait until a painting sells to get their money. So I decided very early on, probably I'd been here a few weeks, and I saw how some of the money was spent. I was really quite idealistic about the fact that I was helping some seemingly, you know, disadvantaged people. But I even more strongly believe that how they spend their money is absolutely none of my business. That they've earned that money for work that they've done. The artists share their earnings according to kinship obligations. Most get spent on food and for travelling to see family, but like anywhere, some of it gets blown on drink and drugs. For us blackfellas, the effects of heavy drinking can be catastrophic. I lost my son. I had to go away and start drinking, get away. It made me so I started drinking and then I went back home. I was feeling sick and I got kidney failure. 
Then doctors said to me, you have to go and live in Alice Spring because you'd be going on a machine. Andrea was away from home for five years before she got a kidney transplant. And she was one of the lucky ones. Because black fellas living in remote communities are ten times less likely to be given a transplant. And starting to go back to Yundamu to more paintings. So I make Sicilian glory happy because I've gone back to painting. Despite or because of their hard-headedness, Sicilian glory have been accepted into the Yundamu community. They've been given a skin name, which is in fact the only way you can work there for extended periods. It means they're related to every Aboriginal family in the community. You're either part of family or effectively you don't exist. Me, I call them nieces. We teach them which dream and which all the law, they fit into family and sharing together. We share our culture with white people and they teach us the European way. And it's good both ways. And when you visit the country, it's so nice when you hear them singing and, and you know, playing the, the sticks. Yeah. It make you cry. You yeah. So that, that day was when your dad was singing and Cecilia was dancing, you know. <laughs> and we slept in that riverbed. You have this beautiful sky full of stars. Gloria's talking there about the Seven Sisters Dreaming, which is painted by artists like Elma right across the country. You could see why the connection at that point is when the sisters took off into the sky. While Cecilia and Gloria now feel they get something of Walpri culture, they both believe it's still important to maintain the line of difference. They particularly loathe the gushing faux spirituality of some white fellows who try to be Aboriginal. There are other organisations in this town where everybody calls each other by their skin name. They open up Facebook accounts with their skin. We don't do that. We call each other by our Western name. We're Western. We really enjoy working in another culture. And that's what makes it a success. They don't want some hippy-dippy, you know, well-intentioned person to run their business. I'm not just a well-intentioned hippie. I don't think I was Aboriginal in a past life, and that's why I came here. I mean, I've actually had people say that to me when they're applying for a job, that they thought they were Aboriginal in a past life. <laughs> I hate when they come here and go about this spiritual thing and all of that. I will <sighs> Yep. Yes. I think here you need to be an example of what it is, how the world works in a different way from outside this place. They don't advertise it, but Cecilia and Gloria have worked on various initiatives to improve life for the whole community. A childcare centre, a swimming pool, the reopening of an important men's museum. For all of her outspoken criticism, Cecilia has an enduring bond to Uendamu. I don't need the skin name to feel that I was close to those people because I had real relationships with them. You know, I loved them. You know, I've lived my life there, like that has been my life and I've had a child there and I've been part of that community and I feel Yuendamu has been my home. But it's important not to think that they're living in this utopian 
ideal, you know, because they're not. And so it's been challenging because having to generate money and give out money, it can be very explosive at times. And I'm very blunt. And I think that's okay. I mean, I think that those people work you out pretty quick, you know. If the Walpi don't like you, they do get rid of you. And so I have survived. Gloria's made another huge contribution to the community, managing the roaming packs of dogs. They were always stealing things, eating the bread. There was like a dog's running on top of the painting to be able to get to the food. Gloria organised vaccinations, desexing and dog adoptions. She has around 40 living with her at the moment. She is the dog whisperer. I got all the rejects. <laughs> but I love them. <laughs> with those dog commitments, it doesn't look like Gloria is going anywhere soon. She too is strongly attached to Uendamu. It's actually not that different from the Mapuche indigenous community she comes from in Chile. I grew up in a place very similar to Juendamu. It was a tiny little community. I love the fact that you could go out five minutes out of the community and you don't see anybody. I need the space. I need, I need this, you know, no boundaries. After 17 years... Cecilia's made the Walukulango Art Centre an internationally recognised part of the Aboriginal art world. And the secret of my success is my relationship with Gloria. Otherwise I wouldn't have survived out there for so long. I mean, she's driven me crazy sometimes too. <laughs> I'm sure I've driven her crazy. And to think Gloria and Cecilia would have crossed the road to avoid each other in Chile coming from such different social, cultural and political backgrounds. My family celebrated when Allende was ousted, you know, and he died, whereas her family grieved and they were scared about what was to come. If I consider all the relationships in my life, she's one of the most important relationships. In a way, the close bond that Gloria and Cecilia have formed mirrors the tiny acts of reconciliation happening every day when other Australians buy a piece of Aboriginal art. So many people who have visited Uendamu and come out to the Arts Centre say their first contact with Aboriginal people was the purchase of an artwork. The three things I look for in buying a painting, first of all it has to be emotionally, it has to sort of hit you and you feel some connection to it. They ponder that painting and it, for somehow it's like they go into this vortex. And then I like to know about what the story is and what the country is. And they start to wonder about the artist and the people and the culture. And the third thing I find really interesting is the family relationships between the artists. It's almost like the painting draws them into another world. They just hit you when they're on the wall. You just can't look away. That was The Conquistador, The Walpri and The Dog Whisperer. It was presented by Margot Neal and produced by Siobhan McHugh as part of a University of Wollongong project conceived by art historian Ian McLean. Technical production was by Russell Stapleton and the executive producer was Claudia Taranto.
and you can see photos of the art and the artists from Walukulangu on the Earshot website. You'll also find a link there to a podcast series, Heart of Artness. It's a treasure trove of other intriguing collaborations between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians in the production of Aboriginal art. I'm Miyuki Okiranta. Catch you next week on Earshot. <laughs>